Okay, um, you guys, I'm in a full gay panic because Jennifer Holiday is on the show today. Wow. <laughs> and I was preparing the music for the show, listening to her sing, and I am telling you, I'm not going. And I cried twice. I'm going to be very emotional. So if you just see me head down at my desk, just Stephanie as producer, it, you're kind of like my Mike Pence. Just carry on, girl. Okay. I'm at Walter Reed. I'm hooked up to machines. <laughs> you just carry on. You, you look like a gay skeletor with a bloat, but go girl, go, you know, cause that's what Mike Pence would do. Um, wow. Are you going to cry? I just called Mike Pence a bloated gray skeletor. Yeah. And there are a you know lot what? of other things I want to call them, but go on. Yeah, well, you know what? Fight me, okay? Fight me on that. <laughs> um, so, Stephanie, though, um, are you going to cry when, when she... 100%. 100%. I have, I have every recording of Dreamgirls from the original, which only had a portion of the music, all the way through the concert version with Lilius White and the movie soundtrack. Like, this is... This is not a joke, Jim. This is like yeah. full emotion. Like if you, the only more emotional I could probably get is if you had Donna McKechnie and Priscilla Lopez on. <laughs> Wearing the red dress. And I'm not even going to, I'm not going to say more than that. If you don't know what we're talking about, Google Donna McKechnie, the red dress. <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's just jump in that. I don't want to waste another moment between now and a food because i love food and then be jennifer holiday because the only thing i like more than a snack is jennifer holiday let's go truth be told i always wanted to host the view but i don't exactly meet the lady requirement so you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna get my friends together and we're going to start a podcast hello I am Jim Lanahan, and these are my friends. Ready? Let's go. All right, you guys, welcome to another episode of Jim Lanahan and Friends. As always, we have Christine Sinecor, Dr. John Paul Higgins, Scott Sheldon, and the producer Stephanie Laffin. Hello, friends. How's it going? Hello. How are you doing? You know, um, it's a big show. So without further ado, we're going to jump directly into the yummy, yummy. I can't go to Taco Bell. I'm on an all-carb diet. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Okay, Stephanie. So I'm finding these little hard candies. They look really interesting. Tell us about them. So they are from a really phenomenal uh, website, this Loteria Candy website that I found. And, and I'm not saying that there will be more from the candy store, but maybe. Anyways, I just remember loving any candy with sort of a fizz or something in the middle. Remember those strawberry candies with the goo inside and stuff? Mm -hmm. These are really interesting because they're, they're like a lemon with a little bit of like cells, kind of bitter kind of mm -hmm. stuff in the middle. Yeah, so I gave you all uh, some. my grinder name back in college, salt mm. and bitter. Oh, I thought well, you said you know what? A little. It tastes <laughs> like a Mountain Dew. 
product a little Ooh, bit. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Sweet yeah, yeah. with a little seltzery, and there's kind of like a lemony, limey thing happening. I almost said Sprite, mm-hmm. but it's a little mm-hmm. more. The flavor palette's a little more robust than a Sprite. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, and the middle has a little buzz to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Johnny, Johnny, you don't like it? Am I supposed to chew it? No, it's a hard candy when you when you kind of. I mean, you can cut it in half with your teeth if you want. Mm-hmm. I totally chewed it. I'm shoving the second one in my mouth right now. <laughs> I have too True story. many. Yeah. I have too many bridges and things in my mouth to be chopping <laughs> on things that I paid a lot of money for. So I'm always very, 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 very cautious mm-hmm. when I eat hard candy. Mm-hmm. I, it's not that I don't like it. Um, I don't love it. But I don't hate it. Um, it's kind of like how we do Sierra. You know how like we don't love her music, but we don't hate it either. That's what I think with it. Is it a little grandma candy for you? It's just a little. You know, I don't know. It's just not me. I don't know. I love Sierra, but that's for different reasons than her music. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just like it's like wearing white after Labor Day. Yeah. 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 I like them. I think they're delicious. I still I like it a lot. Yeah. I'm in the middle. No. I can't get in. Nope. You're not into it, Christine? I'm still waiting for the fizz. Like I, I'm furiously sucking on it, and I just can't seem to get to the fizz. Ah, no, I say that a lot, Christine. I say that a lot. Furiously sucking was Scott's grinder name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I say that a lot in, in this world of mine. All right, y'all. So you know, seriously sucking. I rate for the fizz on a one to five iced coffee scale. So let's quickly go around and rate this candy on a one to five iced coffees. Five iced coffees being the gold standard. One iced coffee being like, did you just bring me to a Krispy Kreme for iced coffee? This shit sucks. Okay. Scott Sheldon, how many iced coffees? I'm going to say three and a half iced coffees. All and, right. I, and I just attained the fizz part of the candy. So, okay, Jonathan Higgins, how many iced coffees? Um, I'm gonna go ahead and go. Um, oh gosh, um, I'm gonna give it a one. Sorry, okay. sorry, Stephanie. Christine Sinecor, iced coffee number. Based on just the outside and not the fizz experience, so far it's a two and a half. Oh. That could go higher. That could go higher once I get to the fizz. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm enjoying this product very much. Mm -hmm. I'm getting a hint of fizz. I'm getting a tangy on the tonguey. I'm Mm -hmm. all about it. I'm going to give it a four. I'm into it. The only candy I would rate higher in the hard candy family is perhaps a root beer barrel or a butterscotch. Root beer barrels are my all-time favorite. Yeah. And a yeah. lemon, nice lemon drop too. Jimmy, you oh. always you constantly amaze me with your candy knowledge. I just mm-hmm. got to Impressive. the fizz part and it's well, the absolute no for me. I'm sorry. You <laughs> I, got to, I got to the middle, but I haven't gotten a fizz yet. Oh my god, you got a defective candy oh my god. Going without fizz. Oh god, why? <laughs> All right, guys. Um, so crossed out. Listen, everybody, chew your candy and swallow it so that you're not making sucking noises when a Tony Award and Grammy Award winner joins us in two minutes. All right. I love you, Bob, but you're so good. <laughs> <laughs> Just put Hilarious. a second one in my mouth. Um, well, that's what she said. Okay, you guys, let's move on to 
Jennifer Holiday. As you guys know, we have been so excited to have our next guest join the podcast. We've been waiting for a few weeks. Jennifer Yvette Holiday is a wildly popular singer and actress. She is best known for creating the role of Effie Melody White in Dreamgirls on Broadway, a role that won her the 1982 Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress in a Musical, and also won her the Tony Award for Best Leading Actress in a Musical. Jennifer's rendition of the song, and I am telling you, I'm not going made her a legend, you guys. The recording garnered her a Grammy Award for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. She won another Grammy a few years later for her work Come Sunday. She has been in five Broadway shows. She's been nominated for four Grammy Awards. She's won two Grammy Awards. She's released 10 albums, producing 23 charting singles, 14 of which appeared in top 20 lists. She made unforgettable TV appearances in Touched by an Angel, Hang Time, and Allie McBeal, my favorite. I'm obsessed with the Allie McBeal appearances. And when she sings that power and that presence. I simply don't know how to say it in any other way, but when Jennifer Holiday sings, I hear God. Ladies Aww. and gentlemen, please help me welcome Jennifer Holiday. <laughs> Guys, finally, like, finally I'm here. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, thank you so much. And, and let's start off by talking about that. So you were supposed to be here a while back. And yes. Someone in your professional life passed away. Could tell us a little bit about him and what he meant to you. Well, personal and professional. Um, he was uh, one of the greatest male soul singers ever. And his name was DJ Rogers. He also wrote um, the ballad, Say, say, you love me, which was my second album. So he was very... Um, very dear to me and i was just he wasn't really like sick or anything so it really took me you know took us all off off guard and threw us for a loop and so i i wanted to take the chance to mourn even though i am in show business and we're not expected to like grieve or anything we're supposed to like everything's okay and i'm fine but I didn't want to and with everything that we've been going through i think that the lesson now is important is to feel what you feel say what you want to say tell people you love them you know strive for different things in your life reach different goals so i think that the the pandemic has taught us a lot of things so so that's why then i appreciate you all being um accommodating and, and rescheduling Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure and uh, we're so sorry for your loss. And, and amen you. to what you said about this pandemic teaching us, kind of reminding us, right, what's really important. And um, I'm so glad you got to take some time for him and for yourself. Um, I thought we would just go chronological through your life and kind of hit the high marks and we have some questions for you. So you made your Broadway debut when you were only 19 years old. It was in a show called Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. It garnered you a Drama Desk nomination for Outstanding Featured Actress. Um, you were up against someone who won a Tony just a few years later. Her name is Debbie Shapiro Gravit. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, so Jennifer made her Broadway debut. She wasn't yet 20. She's nominated for some big awards with some heavy hitters. 
I mean, that's just amazing. So tell us about the period right before that. How did you get discovered for that show? Who brought you in? I know you did the tour pre-Broadway. Who brought you into that project and said, this girl has something special? Well, I um, grew up in Houston, Texas, and I grew up singing in the Baptist Church Choir. And that's where I was when I got discovered. A young man by the name of Jamie Patterson um, was in um, uh, a show on Broadway. Um, not on Broadway, but in the music hall in downtown Houston. And, uh, but he had done many Broadway shows and stuff. So this particular Sunday before matinee, he wanted to go to church. So he asked people where to go. So our church back then was one of those first mega, mega churches. And um, he came and afterwards he came up to me and he said, hey, you have such a great voice. Your voice would be great on Broadway. Well, I had never heard of Broadway, so I didn't really know what he was talking about. I thought he was being disrespectful. I was like, that sounds very not nice. What is Broadway? Very, you know, <laughs> Broadway. I don't know what Broadway sounds like. It sounds like a dark street or something. I don't know, you know, with girls on it. But anyway, um, so he was like, no, it's nothing like that. He said, you know, Broadway, the theater. I said, oh, the theater. Yes. I love the theater. I mean, I'm, I haven't seen a Broadway show. I said, but I, you know, my school puts on plays, you know? And so he said, well, if I see something, you know, um, that would be great for you, I'm going to reach back out to you. So I didn't, I didn't think about anything of it, you know, about three months later, he said, there is a show. Um, that's going out on a national tour called Your Arms to Shark to Box with God. And uh, the lady, uh, the role that uh, they're looking for, she won the Tony Award for it. And she said, I think that you would be great in it because you have the same type of voice as this lady. And I said, well, um, you have to ask my mother because I'm not grown yet. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm only 17, so you have to really... You have to ask her. And uh, and he said, well, I'll do that. I was like, yeah, good luck. You know, and so he uh, so so he calls her and my mother says, absolutely not. I'm not letting my daughter go with no man in New York and blah, 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 blah. So that was the end of that, I thought. But he called back and had an aunt who lived in New York who was very religious she called my mother. She said, this will be a great opportunity for your daughter. I will take responsibility from the time she gets off the plane. She can stay with me. She'll never get out of my sight. We'll be praying all the time. All the time we'll be praying. And then after that, we'll let her audition and then we'll pray again. So my mother said, yes, wonderful. Yes. So, so I went to Broadway. I auditioned and I got hired that day and I never went back. Wow. <laughs> That's a great a story. story. So you grew up singing in the church and I heard you mention some shows in high school. Was that your trip? No, I didn't have any shows in high school. I'm just saying that they put on things in high school. Um, I only thing I did in high school was talent shows. They had a lot of those, but they did have play. I wasn't really interested in like acting or anything like that. So, but I did know when he said theater, it did re register to me. Not musicals, but but acting like plays. That's when he said theater. I didn't equate musicals. So you had never done a musical on stage prior to landing your Broadway debut. Oh no! I mean, wow. that's amazing. 
thing. What is this thing? Unheard of. Wow. I don't know if it's unheard of. Amazing. Somebody else had to have done it. I don't know who, but. Probably, Somebody. yeah, but it's, it's you know, when you think about how uh, the young people coming up today, they are, um, you know, in programs at Northwestern, right, or they're at Carnegie Mellon, and they study. Right. So, yeah, it's, I think it's also a different industry in a lot of ways today, for sure, but it speaks a lot to your God-given talent, Jennifer. Um, that's just so amazing. Um, Christine, you have a question? Yeah. Um, what would you like? What advice would you give to the young sort of singers that are doing community shows or singing in church choirs that have dreams themselves to be on Broadway? Well, like I said, I didn't know about uh, theater and stuff like that, but I would say do a lot as much as that as you can, because your chances of going to New York and hanging out and and you know rooming with people you never met before and all of a sudden you you're a star like in the old hollywood movies is not real so so therefore that ain't real that much i do know yeah. you know you're gonna need a whole lot of money and uh at least one good friend you know that's not gonna um you know really um be annoyed by the fact that you have to audition all the time and you don't have money for rent or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think that if you can do community plays and stuff, because actually a lot of them have really stepped up. You could do high school, college plays. They all open now to things. I have seen so many incredible productions of dream girls that were done from high school productions. I mean, you know, and I, I, I used to just travel all over the United States, um, people would invite me and I would go to, to see them and colleges and stuff who would put on productions of dream. Amazing, amazing what they would do. So I would say do as many of those as you possibly can. And um, now church is different because if you, if you're not really good in church, you can't really sing, you know what I'm saying? They, you know, they, it's right. just not the same. It's not the same. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, Oh, church, you know, you got to have something, something different, you know, but, you know, uh, if you were looking for more, you know, a train kind of experience and stuff and you have a voice that works good, you know, for theater and all around and stuff, I say you, you just want to come to the attention. You want to get local reviews. I think that that's important. Mm. Um, now, that wasn't my plan, you know what I'm saying? But I do, that's the way I do advise, advise people that don't try to wait until you get to, to New York, you know? And I had a young lady that wasn't really even, um, she was doing theater stuff down here in Atlanta. And she was saying, well, nothing's happening for me here. And I think I'm going to move to New York. And I think I'm going to try to audition. I have a sister who's in another show. And where I said, let me tell you something. You try to try to make it here first i said because you do have something that's great i said you can can cross over but try to try to make it here first and sure enough she started doing some other stuff and and her own music got some attention and stuff and she's doing good so i i say get a support group first you know and you know once you move from your family dinners 
you know, get the opinion of people who are not your family and see what happens and then go from there. (laughs) I love that. Um, You know, I have to ask Jennifer, after you went to New York and became Jennifer Holiday, you know, and, and won the awards and won the Grammys, did you ever go back to church and sing with them and what did they just say? Okay, come on back. Or were they like, Oh, there's the fancy Jennifer holiday. Like how, how, was that always a, ever a thing for you going back and singing with your old churches? Yeah, I actually never got back until I, till I became the Jennifer holiday. So I went straight from your own the box with God to working on dream girls. So in the daytime, uh, I worked wow. on Dream Girls, which didn't have a name at that time. It was just a project. So worked on Dream Girls from ten to six, and then did your own construction box of God at night from six to ten. Oh so, wow. I mean, from from eight to ten, not from eight to eleven. I'm sorry, eight to eleven, and then ten a.m. to six p.m. Working on Dream Girls in the daytime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so by the time I did go back to 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 Houston, I was the Jennifer Holiday, and yes, you have to let me sing in the choir because uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, Regardless funny. of whether you like me or not, nothing, I, no, you, nothing about you asking. Have, I'm you coming. You do have to let exactly. you do have to let me sing up in here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if I was that choir director, I'd put you right down front, and houses would be packed every day. You know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So that's an amazing story that you were rehearsing Dream Girls in the day and performing the other show at night. I had no idea. On Broadway, Uh uh-huh. Did Michael Bennett, who is the legendary director of Dream Girls, did he find you because of the other show? Is that how it happened? Yes, he he had heard about me because I had gotten reviews. And at that time, um, I was Jennifer Yvette Holiday my whole name. And so he had read about me and had heard about me, uh, to come and, you know, see me injuring girls that I was, um, um, this young girl, you know, who, who could sing and had a big voice and Mike would work for the project that he was, you know, that he was doing. So he came to see the show and then he saw me and Cleavant Derricks who played James Thunder early and asked us both, would we want to participate in the show? Now I didn't know who who he was, so I didn't really care. But 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 Cleavant knew who he was because Cleavant was a seasoned, you know, legend. So Cleavant was like, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go do it. You should come too. You want to come?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure, fine, whatever." <laughs> what was it, Jennifer? What was it like working with Michael Bennett? I mean, the wild like time you. in the theater. Yeah, um, a very long, very long uh, relationship in the sense of that uh, Effie was not was not ever in the second act when I came on, and and I'm telling you had not been completed at that point. So I had he became my teacher and my mentor in terms of that he would not let them give me an acting coach. So he took everything himself upon himself to teach me. So, yeah, so very close and throughout those years and uh, at times tumultuous, but, you know, but um, that's that's how it goes, because I had to fight for Effie to 
be in the second act. He just didn't want it. And, but I didn't know who he was, but I knew how I could sing though. I was like, well, I mean, hey, if you can get somebody else to sing at you. <laughs> And what a second act she has. Yeah, you got right? it, baby. Um, you got it, baby. I, I don't know who you are, but... Wow. Are you scared? Do you think it's was to your benefit that you didn't know who he was? Because well, I think it was definitely to my benefit. Yeah. And I think it was also, and that's what the, that's what it is when you're a teenager too. When you're a teenager and when you're old lady, like I'm almost going to be, not yet though, I'm going to be 60, <laughs> but, but I'm almost going to be at that point where I can tell you whatever I want to tell you because mm -hmm. it's just not going to matter. Okay. So when you're a teenager, it don't matter. You just speak the truth and you be like, oh, hey, well, this is why I feel and this is honor. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm on Broadway. I'm 19 years old. What am I going to know? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, dude, all I know is that I don't want to do half a show. This is a lot of work. I don't want to yeah. be, be bothered with half a show. You know, that was my thing. I was like, well, well, why can't she be in the, in the second act? You know, so he was really adamant on that and so i had quit and then he came and got me and then the rest is history you know i was just gonna say i will listen to you sing henry krieger's music till the end of time <laughs> yeah it is amazing sorry jimmy you were um doing some press we'll get to it in a minute but you were doing some press a few years ago for the color purple you um completed the broadway run of color purple as Avery and uh, you said at that time in an interview, we didn't step into these parts. We actually co-created the characters with Michael Bennett. And I remember thinking to myself, the audience, we all have such an affinity for Effie. We have all felt marginalized and pushed aside, and we've all felt like our voices weren't heard. And that's why we love Effie. And you brought Effie to life, and that's why we love you. And I just wondered, how did you co-create this character, A, as a teenager, B, with this huge director presence, because I'm sure it was, it's a good thing you didn't know him because he could have been intimidating. How did you do that and, and create such a robust character that means so much to us at such a young age? Well, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the writer. The writer was Tom Ian and, you know, Henry Krieger. So, so they had an idea of Effie, but the, the, the problem was, that the vehicle was not written for Effie. The vehicle was written for Shirley Ralph, for mm -hmm. Dina Jones's Dina. character. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where the problem came. So then once I started to ask for uh, Effie to be in the second act, then all kind of hell broke loose for a while and Tom Ian quit as director. And so then Michael Bennett took over. So, um, uh, he took over with, because he didn't want the didn't want the, none of them wanted the story to change because I think it was going to also mess with timing. They had already had a time set of when they were going to be done and they were going to try to get it to Broadway and whatever to write a whole new second act, put us, you know, in workshop for another many, many months, you know, so it delayed everything for like a, a year. It's an amazing story. And you were in the show for years. You were in it for a while, right? And every birthday, every birthday, 20, all the way up to 25. 
My gosh. Wow. And you sang, and were you still at the end doing eight shows a week singing that score? Um, at the end, well, when I got to California, um, I didn't have to do eight shows. We did six. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering how you maintained because that is a huge well, just like any other Broadway. Well, any other Broadway, they teach you. You know what I'm saying? You they, you have to have discipline. They train you. They teach you how to preserve your instrument. And so I don't find it that I'm any more special than anyone else. Pat Lapone, Arjun Vidal. They they teach us all. You know how to how to do that. And then it's the onus is upon us to make sure that we do our part to make sure that we can that we can keep our voices and do that. You know. It's amazing. It's it's amazing though um, to hear mm-hmm. you sing that song. Still, is just a thrill. Um, Thank you. So you went on to do. Uh, you took a break. You put out a trillion albums. You came back to Broadway. You did Grease. You were Teen Angel. Um, that's super awesome. I think that's hilarious. You were Mama Morton in Chicago. I saw you in that. Uh, and then you were in The Color Purple. You and I both have a connection to The Color Purple. Um, the Suge Avery character originated on Broadway by Jennifer Hudson. Then Heather Headley took over, and then you took over. Literal all-stars. What was it to, like, come into a show that was running smoothly? Cynthia Erivo had won the Tony at that point. She was, you know, a, a big star now on Broadway. What was it like to enter a smoothly running machine and then close out the Broadway run of that production? Um, well, um, you know, a, a lot of us... Um, I think with the, this particular revival version of Color Purple, um, it was more so that it was very scaled down, meaning that it basically dealt with more with the story and not with a lot of clothes and set changes and things like that. So I wanted to do it because I wanted to improve my skills as an actress. So... I was the oldest, I'm the oldest person who ever played Sugar Avery. I was 50, 54, 55, 55 years old at that time. Um, no, 56, actually. Yeah, 56. Um, so the oldest Sugar Avery. And um, also um, coming into a situation where the character doesn't have a lot of songs. So, so everything has to be from the acting and from whatever. Again, I was going to get an acting coach, but this director also decided to work with me themselves instead of hiring an acting coach. And so to me, it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life to grow as an, as an actress and to make people believe that a 55-year-old is a 30-year-old woman. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and uh john doyle directed it of course yeah. uh did yeah. he work with you directly or did this yeah that's what i just your... said yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no he worked with he worked with me directly right he didn't want Amazing. me to he didn't want me to hire um uh an uh an acting coach which i was going to do because i did tell him the the way you've done i tell you the way you've done the show i'm used to having singing and implying that i'm not used to having so many lines speaking and not singing. And so it was just, uh, to me, one of the greatest, greatest growth experiences 
uh, of my life. And uh, it made me so um, excited and happy. And my growth, even from the first time of my opening night, which I was not good. And mainly because I was very um, nervous in the sense of uh, here I am with a, a cast that's 20 years younger than I am. And uh, how am I going to to make this happen? And um, and then I began to grow uh, each time because the audiences were very kind and very gracious and allowed me to grow. And so I was very very happy with that entire experience. Hmm. I, I'm going to tell you, I, when I saw it, I had seen it at that point because I was working on the tour. I had seen it probably six or seven times. Mm-hmm. You sang Too Beautiful for Words mm-hmm. to Cynthia. She's sitting in that chair. You're standing behind her. Mm-hmm. and You're leaning over. I know you know that moment. And the way you just so tenderly delivered that song, it was a whole new level of shug for me. And like I said, I had seen it seven times. You were really magic in it and you interpreted Thank it you. in a really Thank special you. way. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Well, some things only a mature woman can deliver. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know what young man is going to experience that, but one going to find out. <laughs> one gonna find out put me oh, on the man. list <laughs> you are, oh, okay if you, if you love connection check, if you give me that check you can get a, you can get on the list you hear that mom <laughs> write the check mark. mom mom you have a fiance just so we're clear oh okay <laughs> see there man Oh, so funny. <laughs> Jennifer, how uh, many times I saw you do Dream Girls? It, it was a bucket list moment for me uh, to see you sing the role of Effie live. Um, I flew to Atlanta to see you do it in 2002, the National Black Arts Festival production with Norm Lewis, which was a secondary bonus for me because I love me some Norm Lewis. I love and me then, some Norm too. Oh. I love me some Norm. <laughs> I and mean, it's so funny because he just sent me a, a happy birthday greeting. Uh, he's, a, you know, he's a little early, but he was, you know, but I was so thrilled. He's such a heartthrob and just a really nice man. Kind, yeah. kind man. Gore, I mean, gorgeous inside and out, truly. Norm yes. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I remember standing there. I actually, I knew Stephanie back in those days, producer Stephanie. We worked for Norm's agent. So I knew Norm. So I'm standing at the stage door. Norm comes out and he's like in his big Norm Lewis voice, Jimmy, how are you doing? You know, because he's Norm Lewis all the time. And then you came out and I remember being really nervous that we were bothering you because you had just done the show and you took a minute with us. You asked us where we came from. You were so kind to us. And I just have to tell you, it's those moments when someone you respect so much just takes a moment with you. And it was just, it meant the world to me. I will never forget it. And I know there's probably thousands of people like me who have had those moments with you. So thank you. Recently, uh, the great John Lewis passed away. And um, I remember. I cleared my schedule to watch the funeral and I did not know that you were singing at the service until you came out the first time and you sang. And it's one of those moments again, Jennifer, like when you sing, I just hear God. I, I can't imagine a singer delivering the level of emotion 
required for us sitting at home in our living rooms to feel like we were in the room. Yet that's what you delivered that day. And I remember I just had full goosebumps. Is there anything you can tell us that was special about that day or that stuck out that felt really poignant for you? Well, Congressman Lewis was a dear friend of mine. I also sang for his wife's funeral. So I kind of felt that it was my my great um, honor to deliver him to his beloved wife, to take his place by her um, and uh, to join her uh, in heaven. And um, so I think that that's what I... Uh, that's all I was thinking about it at the time that I had um, been there with him at one of the most profound, sad times of his life was the death of, of his beloved Lillian. And that, um, you know, I had been there and sung at that at, the, at her funeral. And now I was sending him back to her. Mm. It was, it was beautiful. And I remember there was this moment when uh, President Obama walked on just after you sang, I think it was maybe your second song, and he turned to you and he kind of said, he kind of gave you a little like acknowledgement. Yeah. And I, I kind of read his lips. He said something like, thank you. And I, yeah. what was going through your mind when, in my opinion, the greatest president that we'll ever have looked you in the eyes and said, thank you for what you've done here today. Well, um, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Listen, I came to sing. I don't really know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he doesn't sing. He's not a singer. He's a president. He's an ex-president. So, I mean, mean, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like he does his thing when he does his thing. I do my thing when I do my thing. So, I really didn't. I didn't really kind of look at it that way. I just kind of more so thought that we were all here because this man, John Lewis, meant something to all of us and we had all personal experiences with him and that's why we were there. So that's that's yeah. all I really could think of. It was extremely I, moving. I just Oh, thank say. you. Like, thank you so much. And I just thought it was so amazing. I, I love when excellence recognizes excellence. So to see all the people in that room, whether they were leaders in, in politics or some of them were entertainers, some of them were family members, I thought the most moving speech was actually his chief of staff. I thought she was amazing. Yeah, she was. She was. And then, I mean, also you have to keep in mind that because of COVID, there were restrictions. So a lot of a lot of more great, excellent people couldn't even be there because there was a limit on how many people could be there uh, because we were under still under state of emergency. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thankful you were there. It, it really meant a lot. So you. you have a big birthday coming up. I and- do. Uh, you're having a giant concert on October 19th at 8 p.m. It's uh, streaming live. Uh, It's exclusively on Stellar Events. And I'll say this because I work in this business. Stellar Events is a brand new streaming platform that was launched by Gold Star, you guys. And Jennifer's 
concert is one of the first big events on Stellar. It's a really big right. deal. Yeah, it's exciting. Congrats on that. And it's a fundraiser yeah, for the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and the Healthy Housing Foundation. Yeah. Tell us about your concert. What's it going to be like? What's the list? Well, um, thank you. So, yes, it's going to be my 60th birthday. And um, so by it being virtual, there will be no audience. It does kind of make it a little different in your in your mind as an artist because you won't have an audience there. And then people will be watching from home in a different sense. So um, you don't have like a lot of time. So we're only, you know, talking about maybe an hour and 20 minutes. And, and then how do you keep it where um, it's engaging to uh, the audience um with no applause and with no things going on so of course i'm you know very privileged you know to have a great repertoire from dream girls so i'll be doing some of those songs i was also very fortunate um to have a few other um songs that were made popular and then um i'm gonna pay a tribute to some other of our great divas and I'm also going to pay tribute to uh, Aretha Franklin as well and just kind of button it up as much as I can. And it's going to be intimate in the, in the sense that, and I'm, I, I, I know that it's a hard decision for me to make because most of the virtual concerts I've seen have decided to make the whole concert like a long video so they don't really say anything. And then so they're not saying anything. There's no applause. I am going to kind of take the opportunity to introduce myself and reintroduce myself to some people and, and speak a little bit about so they can get to know me and uh, or get reacquainted with me. So it'll be a more of an intimate time and um, for me to, to do that. And so I, I'm very excited about it and very nervous about it because this virtual thing, it seems like we're going to be here for a while. Even if things return back to normal, I think there will always going to be the two uh, not, well, coexisting in some, some sense. Some people will probably stream and have people in the audience because it's just a way that you your concert can never be sold out it just could never be you know what i'm saying it's kind of like you know <laughs> if you're in a certain city and you want people from all over the world so or we're also probably just going to be in this situation for a little bit longer and it may be the only way we are able to do concerts so if i'm successful at it i would like to to do more performing, I, you know, it's, we all miss it. We all miss our audiences. We all miss our fans. It's, um, you know, quite devastating in a sense where we as artists have been the healers. We have been the ones through any hard time, any, any sense of, um, hopelessness or we have provided that sense of hope um regardless of whether we were getting paid or not but not to be able to to, to have people sit there and uh, and experience love through music healing through music um and not where we can hug them with uh the right words uh in a song 
um, is very different for us. It's also devastating for us because there is no work. And, you know, as you know, with Broadway people and stuff, if there was no work, then you go get a temporary job as, you know, a secretary or a waiter or something like that till something comes along. No, none of us can even do that. You know what I'm saying? We can't go get a job at Macy's or different things like that. It's just, a, it's one of, I think, one of the most strangest times um, that we've ever been. So I'm excited and I'm nervous. And if I can, if I can make this work, then I would like to continue to do more, you know, um, uh, you know, probably more themed, you know, like maybe Valentine's Day or something special, you know. Um, so I don't really, don't really know where this whole virtual thing is going, uh, but I have learned a lot about it and it has empowered me because I, after so many months of not working, I think I was beginning to get very depressed and feeling very hopeless because we can't perform without an audience. You know, that's, that's just not, that's just not possible. And if no one can hire us or do a show or do things like that, what, what are we to do? So I was really kind of sinking and uh, I wasn't gonna do anything at all. And I was like, well, should I not celebrate? And though we're in this great time of darkness and uncertainty, but then I remember that this is, this is life, that one moment on the same day, uh, someone's giving birth to a new child and then someone's burying someone. So that's all in the same day. So you have hope um, and we have to dig deeper to really find it so that we can get through this uh, as much as we can together. And um, so that's what I look towards. So, so the, doing the concert, and it's not really about me, me making money often and that's why you know we're doing the benefit because it's more of so of we're gonna have to live and we're gonna have to find out how we keep life being life and even though it's frightening even though it's scary even though it's uncertain because if we're choosing to say well i don't know and i'm hopeless and i'm I'm desperate and I'm afraid. And I'm not saying it's about going out from your environment. I'm just saying that go ahead and just dream anyway. Just jot down. My thing is like, okay, well, when we come out of this and when we're on the other side, I've got a list of just things that I'd never thought about that I want to do. I have people that I have never actually spent any time with that I would love to just even if I only have one cup of tea and I can hug them and I can just say, you know what? I never got to know you, but I want to do that. I don't have time because I need to go work to make some money, but I still wanted to make sure that you knew um, that I mm -hmm. cared about you, even though I never got a chance to do that before. Mm -hmm. I, I love everything you just said. Um, a lot of my creative friends that are out of work right now, are inspired by folks like you and they say to me what keeps me going is every day i need to create 
and I need to engage with something bigger than myself, something outside of myself and bigger than myself. And I think what you are so generously doing, because you understand that intuitively, is you're giving us another opportunity to remind us of why we do this. We're going to see you streaming. It's going to be intimate. You're going to be right in our living rooms. You're going to sound gorgeous. I know you're going to be backed by a band. Um, Yeah, and and I'm offering also to, you know, kind of like, um, you know, so we have the streaming thing, but then we also have a VIP ticket where I'm actually going to do a virtual meet and greet. So I've never done that before. So, you know, but I I wanted to at least see that. And I've been very... I've just, I don't know, I've been very touched by this whole thing. It's been more like flowers where I live and people have just been sending me birthday greetings. I mean, people, I don't know if they feel like I feel, you know, like I've always wanted to say hello to Jennifer or I always, you know, I don't know if that's maybe why I'm getting so many beautiful messages. And then I've just been by the people who are buying the VIP tickets who just say, you know what, I just want to say hey to her. And I, I flowers while I live, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I do pray that I will make it out on the other side when we come out of this pandemic. But, but I'm, but what I'm learning here uh, is just invaluable. And that's why I said so many things I'm being, that I'm teaching, not, not even, not even being reminded of, but being taught as a newness. Um, and so so it's both things. I'm being reminded of so many things that are important, but I'm also being taught so many things that are being important uh, during this time. Well, you mean a lot to us. Uh, oh, you. you know, uh, the fans and, and those of us that work in the live entertainment industry who understand how it's not easy and how you are... Uh, you know, uh, some of my friends would call you a beast or a thoroughbred. That's a compliment. You know, you are the fact that you're still going and I I will tell a story very quickly and we'll wrap up. Um, I will never forget the 1998 Tony Awards. It was the 52nd annual. Rosie O'Donnell was hosting. The top of the show was a medley. Patti Lapone sang Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Betty Buckley sang Memory. They were amazing. I was, um, oh gosh, in 98, I was two years out of school. I was working at my first Broadway gig. The cast of Ragtime invited me to their party. I thought I had been invited to the Tonys. It was so exciting, right? I'm around all of these Broadway people, and they are, as you know, Jennifer, sometimes theater people can be a little jaded, right? They've seen everything. They've heard everything. Patty sang. They cheered. Betty sang, they cheered. They're great. Oh my gosh, they're amazing. Bada, 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 bada. Then you started singing, and I am telling you, I'm not going. The cheering stopped. It was silent. We stood there. People were enraptured. They were staring at this big screen. I remember that my friend reached over and he touched my shoulder as though to comfort me. And then at the end of it, he just said to me, My God. Jennifer Holiday is a legend. And you literally change the electrical charge in the room when you sing. That's how much you mean to us. And um, and that's why, Jennifer, I say I hear God when you sing. And that's why I will be at your birthday concert. 
because thank you and remember it's is stellar tickets not stellar events of www.stellartickets.com oh good thank you for yeah that. and it's october yeah. 19th and that's october 19th but tickets are on sale right now baby go y'all go help jennifer your drinker please go buy the tickets <laughs> honey. y'all y'all don't even have to buy the vip tickets y'all can just buy the just buy the regular ones so let's help a sister out okay because i still gotta have money to put on the i need a dress i need a whole lot of things <laughs> if y'all got a credit card if y'all want to pay for the dress that bit that'll help me too but i need shoes just come on y'all get them tickets for the dress <laughs> jennifer thanks so much for joining us tonight you're the best thank you all and we'll see you at the birthday concert okay see thank you, you guys jennifer thank holiday you. Thank you, jennifer. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank bye jennifer you. thank you thank you Okay, bye. <laughs> thank you. Bye. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Christine, did you know that Jim Lanahan and Friends podcast is sponsored by Jim Lanahan on Cameo? You're going to hate me, but I don't have that window open. I am so sorry. Give me just one second. What the fuck? Hey, look, I'm sorry. Goodness gracious. I had it open and it closed. I'm leaving in this blooper. They're all going to hear it. Oh, my God. You want me to feed you the lines? No, I don't need you. It was open and then it closed. And then, so give me just a second. And Jim, why are there so many pages in here? Okay. Um, it's open now. We can go ahead. We're ready to go, go now? From the top. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Two. Okay. Go. Christine, did you know that Jim Lanahan and Friends podcast is sponsored by Jim Lanahan on Cameo? Why, yes, Jim. We talk about it every week on the podcast, <laughs> but I love Cameo. So tell me more. Well, <clears throat> Well, repetition is our friend, right? So if you go to Cameo and search for Jim Lanahan, you can order a personalized message from Jim Lanahan, and all proceeds go directly back to supporting his podcast. 
that helps us keep the podcast for fun and for free. Oh my God, I love free things. Girl, me too. Also, every cameo order not only includes a personalized video from Jim Lanahan, but also grants you admission to our live podcast audience. You get to watch us record this podcast and see all the content that doesn't make the final version. That makes you a Jim Lanahan and friend with benefits. Yeah, I love friends with benefits. So go to Cameo today, Cameo.com, and search for Jim Lanahan to get your personalized message and support this podcast. That's Cameo.com. Search for Jim Lanahan. You guys, has everybody recovered from the magnificence that is Jennifer Holiday? Yes, <laughs> yes, God, barely. Uh, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, I have to say, it's a real thrill to talk to her. She is definitely a legend. And if you grew up like me, a poor little kid from upstate New York who went to see all the tours at Proctor's Theater, um, a total theater geek, then. Um, then it's a thrill, definitely, to talk to her. I think it's time to tell a quick story, Christine. I wasn't planning on telling this story, but we'll tell it quickly. <laughs> so, Christine and I, you know, we've known each other since the first day of kindergarten, and we went to high school together, and we took a class called Intro to Musical Theater. It was taught by Ron Jacobs. Mr. Jacobs was the first man that I ever knew, concretely, dated other men. It was like, oh, Yes, that's a gay man. And I remember I turned to Christine at one point and I said, Christine, do you think Mr. Jacobs is? And she was like, yep, a homosexual, Jimmy. He dates dudes. So <laughs> short. And Mr. Jacobs loved Christine and Jim Lanahan. He brought us down to Broadway once, took us backstage, and I think it was, was it Grand Hotel? That we Secret went Garden. Secret Garden. We went in the wow. subway. He was like going to meet his male friend whose name was Michael. We were like, oh my God, is Michael your boyfriend? Like, we, you know, it was very exciting for us. And then at the end of the school year, Mr. Jacobs bequeathed to us some Broadway memorabilia, albums, tchotchkes, show swag. Now, young Jim Lanahan knew he wanted to pursue a career in the arts. He went on to work in Broadway shows for nearly two decades. A young Christine Sinecor had stars in her eyes, wanted to be an actress, and now she lives in LA and you know, she does all sorts of things here, including the acting and the voiceovers. And, so it really would have meant the world to either of us. And, um, well, Mr. Jacobs gave everything to Christine and ignored me like chop liver. <laughs> I just think he, he respected the artist in me. He could see that, you know, I was blossoming into a potential performer. And he just felt like I should have them. Oh. 
Oh, my God, I was devastated. It was the first time a man rejected me. I think, Jimmy, I think he was just trying to keep his job. He, you know, he, <laughs> if he had given everything to you, it might have been a Lolita-type situation. Well, now, and, you, know, you know, listeners to this podcast will remember that when we graduated high school and went to college, our freshman year, Christine and I found out that our priest was brought up on charges of dating young boys. And, then, and when I told you all that story, I was like, he touched everybody but me. Why am I undesirable? You know, so compound that with Mr. Jacobs. Totally acknowledging yeah. well, you, you, and my love of the Broadway. Oh my Lord, Jesus. Did you just equate a gay man with a pedophile? <laughs> Jim just told stories of his childhood where adults didn't touch him. And he just said that an adult man didn't touch you. Jesus, oh. take the wheel. Well, you also didn't do the school. You also weren't involved in the school musicals. No, I was gifted and talented. I took all AP classes. I didn't have well, time. After, after school, I was in all the AP classes, too. Oh, I, I was in a few more, Christine. And anyway, the oh point is this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is getting catty up jobs. in here. I was basically a coal miner's daughter. I worked at the cookie <laughs> store in the mall. I had to keep money flowing in. <laughs> and you did with that adorable little red smock. Oh, I, I was a coal miner's daughter. What cookie what? store? You worked at a cookie store? Uh, thanks for calling the Great American Chocolate Chip Cookie Company in the Clifton Country Mall. My name is Jim. How can I help you? Clifton Country Mall? Is that is the Clifton That's Country right. Mall? Oh, my God. The, store, the stories go on and on. At another time, I'm going to tell you how oh I was working gosh. at the cookie counter and I looked out across the food court near the fountain and I saw a kid that looked exactly like me and I was convinced that that was my father's other child from when he had an affair and I went up and I totally said to him are you my brother oh my gosh I'm not going to oh. tell you what happened next you're going to have to listen to a future <laughs> podcast it's better than <laughs> saying good uh, who's mm -hmm. your daddy <laughs> yeah well, well, uh, <laughs> please Important Broadway question, though. Which musical did Mr. Jacobs give you for your final paper? Oh, Miss Saigon, because I had a basic, like, I had basically a semi-hard-on for Leah Salonga, and he knew that. And he was like, look at this little fairy with a hard-on for that Filipino girl. And I wrote a 22-page paper on Leah Salonga. 22 Salonga. pages. Mm -hmm. It's true. It was my final paper for the class. 22 pages. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He gave, me, he gave me Zora Book the Greek for the same reason because Robert Westenberg was in that. That's right. That's right. Okay, you guys. Um, quickly, I want to tell everybody, starting next week, we are going to have two, two, two episodes every week. You're going to have Jim Lanahan and friends on Mondays, Maybe Tuesdays, I haven't figured it out yet. And Thursdays. So you're going to basically, right now what we do is we do a first half, a commercial break, and a second half. We're going to split it in half. We're going to swoosh around the topic areas so that there's a little of Act 2 and Act 1. There's a little of Act 1 and Act 2, but it's going to be the same Jim Lanahan and friends that everybody knows and loves. You're going to get it in your ear holes twice a week starting next week. I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. Now, Jim Lanahan and Friends with Benefits, if you are a Friends with Benefit member, you're still going to get the link and you're still going to come on Sunday because Sunday is the day we're still going to do all the recording for both episodes, okay? So 
that's what's going to happen starting next week. And by the way, we're also going to debut some new co-host segments. I've got ideas for games. I've got some other exciting stuff announced. So remember last week when I did the Jim Lanahan host veto? Oh, oh, oh. There's going to be more games and stuff like that to mix it up. So I think it's going to be... Really and fun. we're doing the topless from now on. Yeah, so. yeah, topless, just tits and dicks out. Thanks for joining us. Because by the way, everybody, today's one of our friends with benefits is Scott's whole family. So I just said <laughs> <No>. <laughs> three generations of ladies. Oh my god, they're I'm, watching. I'm, I'm assuming they all know what a penis is. Okay, I think it's time to jump into a new segment. By the way, we've never done this one before. <laughs> Let's talk Ikea. Ikea. Just a book and some pine and a handful of Norseman. Ikea. Chilling birds and four college kids and divorced men. Everyone has a home. If you don't have a home, you can buy one there. Christine, tell us what's going on at Ikea. All right. Well, I, I first want to let everybody know, in case they're not aware, that I love Ikea. Love I love it. everything about it. I could go every week and just wander around. When that catalog comes for me, it's like the Sears Christmas catalog. Spend some time going through the pages alone in my, in my apartment. Um, and then the pandemic hit, and I felt like... They didn't handle it very well. There were some uh, issues with ordering. When they reopened the stores, they did it poorly. I just had a series of really bad experiences with them. And I was like, oh no, are, are things going south in, in this, in honestly the best relationship I have. Mm-hmm. But I just went back onto the website the other day. You know, it, it lured me back in. And I just found out that they are now selling a special line of Legos, which is one of my other favorite things. And uh, I just needed you guys to know. And I haven't gone to go get them yet. I What kind of, Le- like, what do the Legos, they're, when, you, when you put them together, what are they, what are they? I what? was hoping it was going to be Legos of, like, Ikea furniture, like, where you yeah. could create yeah with the same instructions (laughs) you just can't figure anything out and everything comes with like a lego allen wrench Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) it just seems to be like a white lego box that just comes with all these different lego pieces that you can build um stuff with but yeah so yeah what are you going to build I don't know. I haven't gone, surprisingly, I haven't gone to Ikea yet to get them, but I'm planning to do so in the next in the next week or two. You guys, I want to go ahead and outline my favorite products at the Ikea. Mm-hmm. Number one, the bulk candy. It is we, a delicious... Which out during the pandemic, which was one of the, one of the yeah. downfalls. Mm-hmm. It's no longer allowed during Ikea. <laughs> during the pandemic because they don't want us all reaching in there with our grubbing mm-hmm, hands mm-hmm. giving each other the vid. Uh, number two. COVID. <laughs> number two. <laughs> it always makes me giggle when John comes out with the low voice. 
Number two, the cinnamon rolls. You may be saying to yourself, Jim Lanahan, you haven't even gotten to furniture yet. And you're talking about I was just gonna about, about to say, Jimmy, you're talking about a furniture store and all you've yeah. mentioned you know how I candy respond to and that? cinnamon rolls. Step off my dick, I'm fat. You know, like I did you ever get did you ever get to try the Slurpees before uh, they closed? Delicious. Meatballs, so delicious. Yeah. Lingonberry, delicious. The, the little princess cake are really good. Delicious the ice cream oh. cones. Yeah. Just go to IKEA and have lunch. You don't have to go into the furniture. It's made of cardboard anyway. So you know, <laughs> tea. All right, Christine. Well, um, I, I, I'm glad IKEA has come back for you. I Thank you. Like you're mm-hmm. in a good spot. You know, I know this. Christine mm-hmm. needs food, water, shelter, and Ikea to feel good about it. So, yeah. Christine, you should just build a giant Ikea store with your Ikea Legos. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see who has no bad news with John Higgins. Um, John, I have some difficult news. Don't you ever bring me! Okay, I guess it can wait. Okay, so I saw this story on Wendy Williams earlier this week, and I was like, okay, I definitely want to chat it up with those on the podcast and see what their minds or where their eyes are with this story. So basically, there is a gentleman who I guess lives in Paris. I don't know if you've heard this story, but he tattooed his eyes black. Um, And he ended up losing his job as a kindergarten teacher. (laughs) And I I will say I am not a tattoo person, but uh, the tattoos that he has, I don't know if you Google it, you'll find it. He's a very Uh heavily tattooed man. He's 35. I think his name is Sylvain Helene. Um, He's from Paris. And basically, aside from the initial shock, uh, when you initially see him, his pupils and things of that nature, he says that he is an educator and he ultimately wants to basically not only get his job back, but also be treated with respect by parents. I guess I brought this up because one, I have never gotten a tattoo and I probably will never get a tattoo in this life. Um, it just sounds painful. I've seen too many videos where people seem like they get halfway through the the, the picking point and they just can't keep continue with it but i just wanted to know like for for those of you who are okay so some of you well i I don't know scott you have children um what would be your (laughs) thoughts if you you're like if you're yeah if your child's for any of you i I guess this is a, a question i can ask anybody if the teacher you met came out of the classroom and had black eyeballs what would you do? <laughs> First off, I was going to ask you, Jonathan, his his actual eyeballs he tattooed? Yeah, tattooed his eyeballs black. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. That must have yeah. hurt like... That must have hurt so much. I can't imagine. I, I don't know how he did it, but it's 460 hours of tattoo needles. Um, oh, my God. And his, it <laughs> says that the whites of his eyes have been surgically turned black. That's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. his eyeballs. Mm-hmm. It's so disgusting. I'm what, sorry. Uh, I would have to think what grade he was. What grade he was teaching? You He's know, teaching because third grade. 
Yeah. yeah, I think that would give some kids some nightmares and things like that. You That's know? exactly what it says in the story. That's why he got fired. It said that he was giving children nightmares. Yeah. But his whole his whole face is literally covered in tattoos. Like he almost yeah. looks like a lizard. Mm-hmm. So how is that not a problem? And the eyes yeah. are too much. Yeah. I, well, it is, it is France. It is Paris. I mean, what I was going to say you know. is this: if he got hit, if he had an accident, he got hit in the eye. His eye became bloodshot, black and blue, etc. You would say to the kids, "Okay, Doctor Crazy Tattoo, he <laughs> is recovering from an accident. He looks a little bit scary." Right. And but it's going to get better over time, and we do we want you to take a minute and adjust to how he looks because you know kids have the fear factor and kids yeah. react. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take two or three minutes, and then we're not going to talk about it anymore because we love Doctor Crazy Tattoo Pants, and we're going to have a, a you know responsible, mature environment in our class. <clears throat> okay, great. But when you so for me, it's like if it was just an eyeball situation. But sir, you have crossed a line. You look like yes. he, and it's not even good tattoos. He looks like he's literally been held down I mean, in a prison and tattooed with a a big pen. I agree. Not I cute, agree. sir. Well, I know like, in, in, for our it's kindergarten true. class, Mrs. Morris, like she had a, you know, she had like a crucifix on her chest, but, and, and that didn't really scare, like How scare did you us know she had a crucifix on, tattooed on her chest? <laughs> Just so you guys know, Mrs. Morris was our kindergarten teacher. She was 109. She weighed 800 <laughs> pounds. She could barely walk. She had like a roll and set hairdo. She was not covered in tattoos. She did not. Although I did, honestly, I did hear she had a labia tat, but I never saw it. What? In her, you know? That's where the crucifix was. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> a religious so labia. I have a pretty robust like half sleeve happening right Mm now and I gotta tell you like there are parts of your body you don't want to want a tattoo and under the arm sucks which is where some of mine is I can't imagine people people tattoo their eyelids their inner lips like I want to say is this um and then we'll move on to movie review um you know Stephanie just described herself as having a robust half sleeve and in college i you know i went to college with scott and uh, yeah. my sophomore year at siena college i dated a guy who had a botched circumcision and his grinder name was robust half sleeve let's have a movie <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all. Scott, what are you reviewing today? Oh my God! Please do a veto. Please do a veto. I was waiting for. I was waiting for the bells and whistle veto. We're good. (laughs) And Christine, how dare you? Anyway, just for comedy's sake, I I do want to hear the veto. This um. This movie is called The Devil of Time, and it's uh, it's out on Netflix. It's been the number one movie on Netflix in the last two weeks. And it stars uh, Tom Holland uh, of Spider-Man fame. And uh, I got to tell you, it was pretty, it was like a generational film about, uh, you know, just how horrible it was living in the South, apparently. But there were two problems I had with this film. One, not a black person to be found anywhere in this in this Southern film, which was interesting. 
I thought. And two, most all, actually all seven of the lead actors were not Americans. Now, this has been kind of a thorn in my side for a while now, where all these really, truly American stories are being told by foreign actors, mostly British or Australian or Austrian, like the, the, the you know, and I don't understand, like, why... What is it that about American actors that these directors and casting directors don't think American actors can play or do American stories, especially Southern American stories or any American stories? Um, so that's what I want to talk about. That's what that, that's what I'm throwing out to you guys. And you know, I thought maybe Jimmy would have something to say since he's been in casting or he's been part of casting before, or Christine or anyone. Why why the fetish to cast? Uh, uh, British or Australian actors in American stories? Well, a lot of projects get greenlit for all the wrong reasons. So a project can often get greenlit because it has somebody attached to it. So, you know, um, Tom may have been friends with that director or worked with a producer before. And, oh, we love him. We love working with him. Which, by the way, never discredit your non-performance reputation in this business Mm -hmm. because networking is everything. You know, uh, Jennifer Holliday kind of just said it herself. Like she got that job based on her performance. She didn't get along with Michael Bennett very well. Right. right? Right. So it was an interesting dynamic. How, if, if did Michael hire her again? I I don't know the answer to that, but I don't think it, it is a yes. So when you look back at like Tom Holland, someone must have loved working with him. There's a connection. They hire him. Uh, but could I just open it even one step further? Yeah. How about, you know, straight actors hired to pay, play gay all the time. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, it's always like, what is going on here? And But the opposite side to play devil's advocate. And, uh, I'm, and then I'm going to shut up and not have an opinion. The opposite <laughs> side is they're actors. So... I know some really bad gay actors that I don't want to see on film or on stage, uh-huh. right? So it's like, I don't know. Like, and, and, and Stephanie, you can talk about casting. You and I have both been in rooms behind the table where we're like, please let the right person come in because right. we're 20 people yeah. and no one's right, you know? Um, but don't you, think, don't you think that Hollywood especially is has some sort of fetish about casting British or Australian or, or folks mm-hmm. like that to play well, American, especially like there's another, there's a couple other examples like Lincoln, where there were quite a few English actors playing like American icons. I mean, if you get Daniel Day-Lewis in your movie, who, who gives a shit, you know? That's what you do. You put them in your movie. But <clears throat> there was another movie about the assassination of Lincoln where everybody was British. Anyway, well, I think I think it's a couple of things too to be to like boil it down to like the finances at times. So you need totally different finances if you shoot in Canada or in another country, right? So if they're yeah. saying, "Hey, we're going to shoot in, you know, wherever." Um, the laws are significantly different everywhere else uh, than in the U.S. Yeah. So there's that. The other thing is, um, 
for for me and I'll, and I'll own taking part in the British invasion because I have been scolded by studio executives as having done it. Um, when we cast to Lori, it was the in house. It was the year of like the forty something dude. It was CSI New York. It was Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives. Everyone was in the mix, and right. everyone was of a certain age, and no one could do the American accent except the guy who played Stuart Little's dad. I'll also say that financially sometimes American actors take roles only for the paycheck and that is common and significant. British actors are sometimes willing to make much more allowances for finances or craft over finances because their TV system and their movie system is entirely different. And it's much more focused on a certain number of episodes for a certain right. period of time versus locking them up maybe for seven years. Well, and- I'll tell you what, this American actor would work for pennies. Yeah, Can I throw in something too? Just a thought real quick. I know this conversation came up when Cynthia Ervo got casted for Harriet. Yes. Um, there were a lot of people who are real, especially in the black community, who are yeah. really, really upset that she got it, especially after she said a whole bunch of different things that were very disparaging of black actors. But I think that that's the biggest thing. I think a big part of what you're asking is, is why? And there's this, for some reason in America, I don't know why, but Americans believe that British actors are better than American actors. And I don't know if it's the accent. I don't know if it's the background. I, I have no idea because obviously agree, that's Jonathan. not my... There's a very... There's yeah. a, there's so, a, there's a so I'll tell you one of the stigma. things too. Yeah, it's annoying. I'll, I'll tell you actually one of the things and I learned this when I was in college. They have to decide so young about their careers. That they're often going into training extremely early. National Youth Theaters, RADA, Central. They're going into those... Like David Ayello was like... Ayello, when we were talking one time, was like, well, we had to make a decision. We were in a youth theater. We don't don't have that kind of um, vocational training for actors in this country. Like it's not an option. That's great, but it doesn't make you a better actor. That all the training in the world doesn't make you a better actor. Correct. Trust me. Mm -hmm. I've worked with people from Juilliard and whatever, and it's just not, you know, there are people. She hung up on me. <laughs> oh, she got mad. She, got, she left the whole zoo. Wow. Oh, did Sal well, just quit? Did well, I, just... I don't think I don't think it's necessarily that like training, but like if if you come from like a society that nurtures that and that like I think there is something mental to that even as an actor. Like if you yeah. are from a young age nurtured in that way and you have the training and you and you know that that is a possible vocation for you i think that does show up different in people's performances i think it shows up in people's perspective of your performances no i mean as a personal not as an actor yeah like not as an not as an audience member i didn't really mean to upset stephanie so much (laughs) first of all this is the episode the episode will be called scott killed stephanie <laughs> yeah, it's not even going to be called Jennifer Holiday. It's going to be called Scott. I just have been batting a thousand lately. Jeez. Um, yeah. But, wow. but I think you you might also be coming to it with, and and I get it. Like I think you might be. Coming I, there is a bias I'm coming. You got a little bit of your of a chip of on course. your shoulder. There's a, there's it. a bitterness to it. Sure. I I, I fully mm-hmm. agree with that, Christine. That, that there is a chip. But I also feel right. like if it's meant to be your job, you're going to get it. Like correct. So. Mm-hmm. 
I, I don't know. I, no, I don't know. I, just I want to validate like... you though, Scott, because I think you, you bring up something that's very, and I know we're probably going to end up going long for the, for yeah, this. We're, this is I'm way sorry. too long, this segment. I know. I'm sorry. But I think, Scott, I, something I just want to validate you on. And I mean, I know Stephanie is really close to me and I'll probably check in with her a little bit later. But what I was going <laughs> to say is, I think your chip is the same chip that I think a lot of black and brown writers have, specifically myself, where we keep seeing folks get put into these roles and yeah. they're getting the opportunities to write these shows and black and brown writers are going, why are we not getting the opportunity exactly. to do this? Right. So I think yeah. you have every right to be mad. Everybody's right. And, and, and I know, and I know stage, of course, I know Broadway and theater and all right. that better than I know TV and film. But I think everybody's right. Is there an inherent bias? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are people always going to hire their friends? Yeah. Yeah. Are you hire the star that, I mean, if, who are you going to hire um, an American actor or Spider-Man? Right. Or Spider-Man, you know, like right. all the things. So I think everybody's probably right. And I don't want to diminish what Stephanie said. The training in. Um, I'm not diminishing. St- I never was. I, I didn't. No, I mean, well, you made her feel horrible and she hung up. It's really <laughs> I, I can't, you know. It's COVID. Everyone's testy. One time when I worked for a major Broadway producer, my boss sat me down and he said, this business is entirely who you know uh-huh. and who you what blow. You know. uh, who you blow? That's good, too. I like that. And he didn't mean it literally like you got to get on the casting couch. But what he meant was everybody mm. is Zooming somebody. You know what I mean? And yeah. yeah. And so... It really is so much, which is why all these years I've stuck with Stephanie because she promised some guest role on that show House that she worked <laughs> on a decade ago. I mean, I don't even want to talk about the things I had to do just to get on this podcast. Oh, uh, girl, and you're not done, bitch. No. By the way, where's your collar? <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to a few happy things. So, <clears throat> by the way, I really can't believe that Stephanie's gone. She didn't even z- dial back in. So let me take a sip of my soda and we'll have a few happy things. Okay. Tim Yoras of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is a high school teacher with 22 years of tenure. Despite being only 45 years old, Tim is facing one of life's hardest lessons. Last year, the father of three was diagnosed with colon cancer. This July, despite chemotherapy treatments, doctors told Tim that he only had a few months to live. So Tim decided to spend what precious time he had left at home with his wife and his kids. And one thing Tim was determined to take care of before time ran out was to make sure that the family home got painted blue, even if he wasn't there to do it himself. He wanted to paint the house blue because that was his wife's favorite color. Tim turned to his friend, Doug Rankin, a retired chemistry teacher for help. Tim said, I just asked him if next summer, which I probably won't be here for, if he can paint the house for my wife. And Doug said, yes, and then he did better than that. The following Saturday, an entire painting crew comprised of Tim's old school coworkers arrived armed with donated brushes, sprayers, drop cloths, and paint. And five hours later, Tim's brown house was a beautiful light blue and everybody celebrated with a cold beer in the driveway. And as thrilled as Tim was at having his wish fulfilled, he was equally happy for a chance to spend time with colleagues and reminisce over some brewskis. 
Tim said, if you spend your life being a good person and hanging around good people, if you need something, people will show up. Thanks, Tim, for that reminder. As always, I say, use your superpowers for good people, no matter what you do for a living, where you live, what your hobbies are. Your talents can make this world a better place, and it's so very important. I love that story. Scott, are you going to have to paint Stephanie's house blue now because you <laughs> damaged her today? I, I, I guess suppose so. I'm not a very good painter, but I'll, you know. Well, she's probably going to hire a painter from England anyway, because they're better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They have, well, more, they have better, better training. training. Way yeah. better training. They have better, they have better <laughs> training at painting. Lord Jesus be a fence. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ on a bike. All right, you guys, let's tell everybody where they can find us. Jennifer Holiday is on Instagram at Jennifer Holiday Dream Girl, on Twitter at Lady J Holiday. Her Facebook page is Jennifer Holiday, and her birthday concert is October 19 at 8 p.m. Tickets are at StellarTickets.com. You can always find the Miss Christine Sinecore at C Sinecore on Twitter and Facebook. Instagram is Christine Sinecore, and her website is ChristineSinecore.com. John is at Dr. John Paul on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and his website is drjohnpaul.com. Scott is at Scotty Sheldon on Twitter and Facebook. On Instagram, he's at Scott Sheldon, and also at American Training is just as good as British Training.org. And his website is scottysheldon.com. Stephanie can be found at Chicky Lap on Twitter and Insta. Can be found here. You can probably find her on the street with her dog going, God damn it, start shooting her. <laughs> My name is Jim Lanahan. I am Jim Lanahan on Instagram, jimlanahan.com. And on Facebook, you can find me at I am Jim Lanahan. And remember this, we have a cameo that supports this podcast. I'm getting a lot of interesting requests lately. I'm getting some impersonations and characters. So it's good times over there. Every dollar that goes to cameo gets funneled directly back to this podcast. Podcast. And uh, our podcast group on Facebook is Jim Lanahan and Friends Podcast Group. All right, friends, we've done it again. And hey. next week we're back with two shows and we'll talk real soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.